Well, I wonder how good you are at guessing uh, what's wrapped inside a Christmas present. Uh, how'd you go at guessing your presents this year? You know, I know you're not sort of meant to, and it's sort of rude or whatever, but it's, it's pretty tempting, isn't it, to give it a little shake, to size it up, to imagine what's hidden behind the shiny wrapping paper. I wonder if you can guess what these gifts are that have been wrapped up. Any guesses on that one? Uh, it's actually socks. Okay, we'll try again. So let's, let's go for another one. Any guesses on that one? Uh, that one's makeup. Sorry about that. I'll give you one more. I'll give you one more. Looks like a telescope. It's actually a scarf. Uh, all of these come from the TikTok challenge of wrapping presents as something they are not. And you know, sometimes we see things and we think we know what's behind it, but it ends up being different altogether. Sometimes presents aren't what we expect them to be. And that's actually the experience that the Jews have in today's Bible passage. As Jesus unwraps a part of the Bible, as he opens up an Old Testament passage, his audience learned that its meaning is not what they expected it to be. All of which ends up producing a big reaction. In fact, what we'll see is that in, a, in the space of just a few, a few short paragraphs, the Jews go from praising Jesus to wanting to murder him. And look, you may have heard this story a number of times. Today we're just going to focus on that lens of God's king being different to what they expected. And we'll take it in three parts. We'll look at the king arrives, the king unwrapped, and then the king rejected. All starting with the moment when Jesus comes to town. Uh, we're dropping back into Luke's Gospel, covering uh, a few different events from these early chapters, and a few things have happened since last week. Jesus is now an adult, and he's begun his public ministry. News about him started to spread. Have a look at verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. So we can see that as Jesus goes to the region of Galilee, his teaching is becoming well-known and even praised, it says. Now, if you were here last week, uh, you might remember that Bryson showed us geography in Luke's Gospel. It's worth taking note of. Uh, today's events take place in the region of Galilee, a long way from Jerusalem. And, and we zoom in to a moment that happens in Nazareth, up the top there, which to most people would have kind of been in the middle of nowhere, a backwater town. But to Jesus, well, it was the town that he called home. And so, of course, when Jesus turns up with his sort of celebrity status on the rise, this little village, well, they want a piece of the action. So let's see what Jesus decides to do when he comes to town. Verse 16. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. So Jesus arrives, and he does what he's been doing in, everywhere, in every other town. He teaches in the local synagogue on the Sabbath. And look, you can just imagine how... The building would have been packed out on that day. People eager to hear what Jesus had to say. Because, well, everyone loves a hometown hero. 
it's a bit like Mary, the crown princess of Denmark. Uh, did you know she's going to become Queen Mary later this month? But she's actually born in Hobart, Tasmania. I wonder how many people in Denmark even know where that is. But us Aussies, we get very excited about her. You know, we love to take the glory of her being one of us. And just imagine what it would be like if Mary went back to Tassie for a visit. Everyone would crowd around her and hang off her every word. Well, that's a bit like the anticipation that was building in the synagogue on that day when King Jesus came home and stood up to read. So what's he going to say to this local crowd? Well, that's point two. The king unwrapped. Have a look with me at verse 17. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. So Jesus is given the scroll of Isaiah, but notice how he intentionally chooses the place to start from. Isaiah is a long book in our Bibles, it's 66 chapters. So there's plenty of places where Jesus could have started reading from. But he picks this exact paragraph from this particular chapter and sits down to teach. Now the Jews, they'd already spent hundreds of years guessing what this passage was about. Like predicting what's inside your Christmas present before you unwrap it. Everyone would have known and loved these words. Everyone would have grown up hearing them and even memorized them. And it wasn't just the words. It was the meaning behind them. This was a promise of God's chosen one. The Lord's Messiah coming to bring freedom and favor for his people. Now remember at the time, Israel is under the control and occupation of the oppressive Romans. And so the Jews were dreaming of a day when they would be set free. And they considered themselves to be the poor, the prisoners that Jesus is reading about. You see, this passage, it had all the hopes of a nation wrapped up with it. But did you notice the really dramatic moment? Just as they were settling in to listen, just as Jesus gets going with his reading, he stops and he sits down. And it actually happens in the middle of a sentence. He stops. It would be like if a band started singing a big hit song and they do verse 1 and just as everyone's gearing up to belt out the chorus, the band stops playing be strange, outrageous even. You see, in the original passage in Isaiah, that last sentence of verse 19, it reads like this. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God. But Jesus didn't read that last part. He announced the Lord's favour, but not the day of judgment, of vengeance. And everyone sitting in the synagogue on that day would have known it. It would have been very strange, very confusing. Because they thought the Lord's favour actually came through bringing his judgment. 
you know, that God's blessing would be the destruction of the Romans. But Jesus doesn't read that last part. He announces favour but not vengeance. Why? Well, because the Jews had guessed wrong about the gift. They had misunderstood this passage from Isaiah. It's not about Israel or Rome. It's about Jesus. He is the gift from God and he brings a radical new meaning to this prophecy of old. And so with all eyes glued to him, have a look at what Jesus says in verse 21. He began, to, he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. We talk about a mic drop moment. Jesus wants to highlight that He's the one who comes with good news. The time of God's favour was here, where he would open up God's blessing to anyone who wanted it. The Spirit of the Lord was on him. He was the one bringing freedom. And it's so bold as to say with his arrival, this treasured Old Testament passage has now come true. And you know, by stopping halfway through that sentence, he's also implying that he'd actually not come to bring God's final judgment. That was for another time. You see, what they thought was one event actually turns out to be two. Blessing comes with Jesus' first coming. That's the now. The day of vengeance? Well, it's not until Jesus returns. His second coming, that was the not yet. Two different moments in history. And by the way, we're still living in between those two moments right now. Where the good news of freedom in Christ has been declared and given to us to share with whoever we can, all while we continue to wait for what has still not yet happened, God's judgment on those who reject him. And so let's use this present moment well. Let's be bold in talking to our friends and family about Jesus. There are thousands of people in Bathurst and beyond who need to hear this message of salvation. Use the week of Summerfest to share this news, to kickstart your year in proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Because one day, Jesus will come. Maybe Jesus will even come back this year, which would be awesome for us, but scary for anyone who does not have their faith in him. But back in the synagogue in Nazareth, Jesus claiming to be the fulfillment of this scripture, it seems to amaze the people of his hometown listening in, well, at least initially. Have a look at verse 22. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Is it this Joseph's son, they asked? So first they're amazed, but that excitement quickly gives way to skepticism as they begin to question, isn't this Joseph's son? You know, thinking, hold on a second, how is the promised Messiah supposed to rescue us when he looks just like me? Now, if I'm going to be rescued, I want it to be by someone impressive looking, not just another country kid that I grew up with. And we get that, you know, with all our superhero movies. 
the Avengers, they're not the unknown or average kind of civilians. No, they're the strong and the rich. And even if they start off as scrawny and nerdy, they have to be given superpowers to make them some, look like something special. And so to those in Nazareth, Jesus, he really doesn't appear to be God's promised king come to overthrow the Romans. He's just Joseph's son. But if we'd been reading Luke up to this point, we'd already know Jesus is far more than Joseph's son. I mean, in chapter 3 alone, we're clearly shown that Jesus is the Son of God. There's both a, a voice from heaven that declares it at his baptism and a genealogy that spells it out. And what this question from the crowd does is it actually exposes their true belief. To question Jesus' origin, well, it points to their rejection of his mission and ministry. And this is where the narrative really starts to escalate. And that brings us to point three, where the king is rejected. Jesus now responds to that attitude that he sees behind their question. Have a look at verse 23. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you'll tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Jesus is anticipating how his hometown will disrespect him with a kind of attitude of entitlement. You know, the crowds, they were hoping that Jesus will do the, the best miracles in Nazareth. You know, and if people are healed in other places like Capernaum, well, surely they'll be healed here in Nazareth. And if he is going to defeat the Romans, well, maybe he'll bestow great treasures on them because, well, they're his favourite. It's his hometown after all. That attitude just serves to show that they weren't listening when he read that scroll of Isaiah. Jesus didn't come to earth just to hang out in his hometown or show off with miracles in his local village. He didn't come to defeat the Romans. He's not just another son of Joseph. Jesus is the son of God. He's come to bring freedom, proclaim God's favour in an unexpected yet astounding way. This mission was much bigger. This plan involved all people everywhere. But the crowds, well, they didn't like what Jesus had unwrapped. And so he continues with a lesson from their past. Verse 24, he says, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Jesus knows he'll be rejected by the people of Nazareth. Because, well, that's exactly how the prophets of the Old Testament and he points to the story of Elijah in 1 Kings and Elisha in 2 Kings who were both persecuted, not accepted in their hometown and ended up performing miracles outside of Israel. And so these two examples from history are meant to remind his audience that when the Jews reject God's chosen one, well, he'll take his good news beyond their borders. And as we read Luke, that's exactly what happened as Jesus is indeed rejected by his own and offers the kingdom to those outside of Israel. Because Jesus accusing them of being like the Israel of old, well, it makes them angry. This is not the rescuer or the rescue plan that they'd always dreamed of. In fact, they may prefer to remain unrescued in their way rather than be rescued in his way. And so what do they do? 
or they try to kill him. Verse 29, all the people of the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. It's a pretty dramatic turn of events. I mean, back in verse 22, everyone spoke well of him. But now, here they are trying to throw him off a cliff. Which, you know, probably seems quite barbaric for us to read. But aside from throwing people off cliffs, it's actually not too far from the kind of cancel culture we see in our world today. You know, as Aussies, we love our icons. Uh, we love to praise our homegrown talent, the Matildas, the Aussie cricket team, or maybe icons like Russell Crowe and Kylie Minogue. We love them until they say something we don't like or do something that breaks societal rules or even just lose a game. And then we absolutely pile on, bagging them out online, boycotting them for their, any of their new releases. If they speak out on an issue, we tell them to stay in their lane. We even look for excuses, you know, like, oh, well, Russell Crowe was born in New Zealand, actually. That's like what the crowds do here. They love Jesus, they praise him, they're happy to claim him as their own, but as soon as he says something they don't like, they're ready to cancel him completely. Now verse 30 tells us that they're not actually successful in their attempt. Jesus escapes the clutches of the crowd. And that's because there's more to come in the story. And we know that there is a day coming when the crowds will get their way, as Luke tells later in his story, where Jesus will experience rejection not just from his hometown, from, but from Jews right across Israel chanting for his execution. But you know, that's actually the exact moment when Jesus hangs on a Roman cross. That's when he achieved the freedom that he pointed to back in Isaiah. He did indeed bring the Lord's favour, setting us free from sin to live life to the full, saving us from our spiritual blindness so that we could know God as our Heavenly Father and all to give us a taste of the new creation that's to come. You see, the promise of Isaiah was fulfilled in Jesus all the way back then and continues to be true for us today. We can enjoy this freedom, this favour from God in our own lives right now. As we live in the now of the time of God's favour, we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Us who were once lost, blind and without hope, we can now be found in Him. To experience the freedom that comes from being known and loved by God not needing to impress others or prove our worth. No, because we're already God's precious children because of what Christ has done for us. I hope you can enjoy that freedom in 2024. But this passage also comes with a warning. To not be like those Israelites in Nazareth. Let's not get caught up in our own expectations or interpretations of what we think God's favour should look like. Here at the start of the new year, 
we actually need to be convinced that God is good, that he knows what's best, even if our year ends up being horrible or heartbreaking or even just kind of below average. We have to remember that we are already blessed as God's people. And he is working for our good, even when we can't see it. And so if the plan of God that we unwrap this year is not what we expected or wanted, it doesn't mean we should throw it out or take it back for a refund or turn our backs on God. The Lord's blessings come in all shapes and sizes and to be counted among those who've been set free from captivity and given new life in Christ, wow, that is the ultimate gift. So let's enjoy living in that now and sharing that good news with whoever we can. I'll pray that we do. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus did indeed come and fulfill these words to bring us freedom and favour from you, that now in Jesus we can have life. Thank you for that. May we boldly proclaim that good news to anyone and everyone we can until the day he returns.